The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Wow, what a jobs report today. Hotter than expected, so rates rip. Stocks move lower, but oh, what a different story it is right now at 12 noon in the East because we have an entirely different market picture at this very moment to talk about. The Investment Committee is with me today as well. Josh Brown, Shannon Sakosha, Joe Terranova, also with us at Post 9, Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. Let's check the markets, and it certainly looks different now than it did then. We're at the highs of the day, 334 for the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P Back above 4,300, that's a gain of 45 points. Look at the NASDAQ as well. Outperforming today, 164, that's a gain of one and a quarter percent. The 10-year note yield gets as high as, what, 488? Down to 476. So rates come down, stocks go up. Joe Terranova, tell me, what do you make of this? Well, maybe we're not going to wait until October 13th for the one-year anniversary of the 2022 low to bottom. Maybe we're just going to do it today. I mean, this is this is very strong price action. This is the type of price action that leads you to believe that we are certainly building a base in which we could rally through uh, Q4. We kind of came off the bottom, led by where the leadership has been in 2023, and that's been the uh, the mega caps. We're seeing a little bit of a broadening out of the rally as the day is moving on. S&P equal weighted is actually rallying along with the S&P, so that's encouraging. Yeah, one sector now, only one sector, Joe, is in the red. That's staples. So it was kind of industrials started to lead you green, financials piled on, tech doing its thing, and now every sector but, but staples now in the green. So just, I, I say focus on the price action. Uh, what will be important is next Thursday, the CPI report. And will the CPI report do what I believe the most critical thing is, and that is incentivize buyers to come in and absorb the tremendous amount of supply that we're seeing to fund the deficit. Because I think that's the real story here. It's about the supply and it's about driving buyers in to absorb that supply. So Shan, strong job growth, right? Plus slower wage growth equals Goldilocks Labenthal. That's what I have on my paper. <laughs> Goldilocks Labenthal, because it's exactly what Jim had been counting on. He's going to join us, by the way, in just a moment, and he should because this is exactly what he talked about yesterday ahead of the number. But your thoughts first. So I think you make a great, uh, great analysis of the difference in this in this report, right? We've got the establishment numbers, which are the headline payrolls, and we've got what's happening in households, which provides a more muted picture. Which I think, again. What, what investors are looking at is this provide the, the Fed enough cover, provided we get the continued improving trend in CPI, which I think most of us feel that we're going to, at least in core, maybe not a little bit of fluctuation headline. So now what investors are looking at is they're looking at if we're going into 2024 and the Fed's economic projections and now 
which were rosier, and that's why we had the uh, the expectations for fewer rate cuts next year. If we're going into 2024 with still continued consumer strength because people have a job, um, and we're seeing those wages come down, so we're not going to see as much pass through to the bottom line in terms of consumer pricing, isn't that the scenario that many have people have been calling a soft landing? The one thing I would say, Scott, to caution on that is that you know if we take a big step back and we think about the two reasons why you would potentially be concerned about 2024 from an equity valuation perspective. Number one, it was a deep recession or even, you know, I would say a deeper recession. Or two, that the Fed is going to continue to remain higher for longer. I don't know that this report is enough to make them feel as if they can potentially start to cut rates next year. And so I think this digestion and repricing is going to continue, but likely more so into 2024, just given where we are cyclically in the market cycle. Oh, no, Leisman. I mean, Mary Daly yesterday says, you know, conditions have tightened considerably. The move in the bond market's been equal to a rate hike. Now you get what you, what you got today, strong economic uh, conditions, right, with slowing inflation conditions from a wage standpoint. Is this Goldilocks for Jay Powell? Um, I don't think he would say Goldilocks. I know he would. I think he would say we're... This that's is, why you're here. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the job numbers are still stronger than he wants them to be, but there's two kinds of job growth. There's job growth that comes at a cost that is non-inflationary and job growth that comes with a cost that's inflationary. So long as we're doing these kind of numbers and not driving up the wages, then I think he'll abide it. And I think he will take a step back and take a look and say, you know what? This is happening with these bond yields surging. So that it's doing a lot of my work for me. I'm going to be careful here. The other thing I would point out before you get too excited about what's happening in the stock market, take a look at the 10-year. It really round-tripped, right? You went all the way up to 487, 488. You're back down. What's the number now? 476. Are you back down? 10 basis points. I don't know what happened around 11 o'clock. Um, maybe they got afraid of you guys coming on TV, you know, getting, getting out of the way. But that's happened. What's really interesting here, by the way, is almost all of this has happened with no change at all in the outlook for the Fed. It's, I mean, it's up, but it's not above 50%. The, the, the odds-on bet still remains to be that the Fed does not hike at this point. Yeah. So, Josh Brown, you know, you must be somewhat surprised by this turn in the market because you gamed it for us yesterday and said if it wasn't in line with ADP, vis-a-vis -vis being, you know, neg or, or weaker like ADP was, you could have a 1,000-point move um, in the Dow. Well, you, you, right now you've had a pretty good one um, intraday from bottom to top. You must be surprised somewhat by this market reaction. Do you trust it? Well, I know the headline was really strong in terms of payrolls, but I don't think the Fed and uh, Professor Leisman could correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think payrolls, the number is the thing. I think it's average hourly earnings. And that came in exactly where we needed it to come in, quite frankly. Uh, it's obviously not very weak, but it's not very strong. Uh, average hourly earnings now up 4.2%. That's lower than the expectation. And that is the slowest rate that we've had in a really long time, and it's trending in the right direction. So I think that that is what the market has chosen to focus on, and perhaps rightfully so. I don't think that, look, we know that it's a tight labor force. And I, I don't think the Fed, in word or in deed, is looking to significantly damage the amount of people working. They need that average hourly earnings number to trend lower, and it is. And I think that's probably why the knee-jerk reaction was lower for stocks, higher 
for, for bond yields. But then sometime around 10 o'clock, people said, wait, 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 wait. What did this, what did this print really indicate? I want to pull up two charts really quickly because I think these tell a much bigger story. Um, first, let's do Target. Understand something. If you're really worried about the economy and you're really worried about the consumer, well, you can't say that we're not already pricing in uh, a difficult environment when you look at TGT. This stock literally has lost almost half its market cap since January. Okay? This is not a high flyer. This is not a high beta name. This is literally the consumer writ large, and they've lost $30 billion plus in market cap since January. Market cap's now about $48 billion. It was $80. Uh, second chart, Alphabet, Google. Why all of a sudden in the last five days, with bond yields going crazy to the upside, are Apple and, and, and Alphabet uh, starting to catch a bid and, and break out here? Uh, by the way, Alphabet looks like it's going to take out a 52-week high, which is pretty rare right now. I think you'd agree. Uh, why is that the case? There are still very important companies in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100 that do not have any issues whatsoever with a higher borrowing cost. These, these are fortress balance sheets. They've done a ton of refinancing over the last three years. Mm -hmm. They've pushed out maturities. They've been managing their cash very well. These are the stocks that really matter, Scott. And these stocks are just not affected by today's quote-unquote stronger-than-expected jobs report. Right. It just doesn't affect them negatively. So let's bring in the Goldilocks farmer, uh, Jim Laventhal, investment committee member, who joins us. I think you're on the phone. Is that right, Jimmy? I am, Scott. Sorry I couldn't be with you in person today. That's okay. Uh, we're glad to hear your voice because this is just what the doctor or the farmer ordered, right? You're, you're darn right. And, I, you know, I want to give credit to something Josh said yesterday. He said, look, the algos are going to take over in the morning if you get a hot jobs number, a hot top, top, top line number. And that's exactly what happened. The algos took over. But when you get more thoughtful past what the algos do, you do what exactly everybody on this show right now is saying is this is good inflation numbers. All right. Point two percent. You annualize that month over month. You annualize that to two point four percent. Hey, Steve, what if you get a little productivity on top of that? This inflation problem can go away pretty darn quickly, and the Fed looks like it's met its mandate, both of them, full employment and price control. I do want to say one more thing, which is that the bears are not idiots, okay? Their, their thesis has some rationality that higher interest rates should bite. But here's the thing. So is the bull's thesis, my thesis, that if the consumer is employed and inflation is coming down, that's a positive, positive elixir. Where the balance gets struck, Scott, is sentiment. Mm -hmm. CEO sentiment that keeps people hired, investor sentiment that keeps the rally going, consumer sentiment that keeps the economy going. And that sentiment will get stronger as the Fed gets more comfortable and signals that it's close to, if not, at the end of its rate hikes. You know, um Steve Leishman, you know, Jay Powell's not going to put the, the jumpsuit on and he's not going to stand near a banner that says mission accomplished at this moment. But you got to believe he's feeling rather victorious at the moment for a number of reasons. Inflation's come down a bunch. Um, he's gotten the market to listen to him, right? The idea that they're off cuts, the market's off the cuts to the degree that it was before. He's maintaining a strong economy. And whatever they're doing and have done has gotten inflation down to a pretty substantial degree. 
How would you assess that? I, I think he's a little more nervous than that, and I'll explain why. Uh, and, and I think I, he is, I, I, Well, first of all, I think we pay him to be nervous, but um, you are asking him, and, and actually the, 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 the consensus of the economic community, to abandon this supposed relationship between job growth and inflation. I think if any Fed chair is willing to go there, this is the guy. Because he's not, he doesn't, not being a sort of economist from the Chicago school or the whatever school or the Keynes school, he doesn't have a dog in the fight. I think he's open to it, very much the way Greenspan back in 1996 made what was probably the most important call of his career when he decided to let productivity um, run and did not raise rates despite being uh, hammered by a lot of his colleagues to do so. This may be a moment that he lets it run to see how it comes out by thinking, hey, I'm in a good place. I'm 500 basis points tighter than I was. I got the bond market working with me. I'm still nervous about this call. Of course, of course. Remember the two things that Powell said. He said twice now in Jackson Hole that bringing inflation down will require GDP running softer than potential, okay? That has not happened, so he's got to let that run. And he's also said it will require pain in the labor market. That has not happened. So before you think of, of Powell sort of sleeping well, and he might sleep well at night anyway, he still has to deal with these two things, which is the idea that the labor market can remain this strong and inflation come down. So far, so good, but I don't think he's going to be... Uh, no, but uh, unless, un- un- unless he is misjudging the, the metrics by which he is making his future decisions look at looking at you know more lagging things I, I don't know it's not like they've gotten everything right to this point and maybe the system is going to work in ways that they didn't expect it to work yes and right, and right. that's going to solve the whole thing for him anyway it may be and and i i think jim is right that there's an untold product productivity story out there. Um, I don't think it's quite coming from AI. I think work from home was probably a positive when it comes to productivity. I still think there's uh, we're learning to deal with that and incorporate that. I think there are other things that are going on. There are labor-saving technologies that have been out there, which corporations have responded to the lack of, of labor force that's been out there. I don't think that's been counted yet, so I do think there is something of a productivity story out there. Mm-hmm. But he's got to let something go. He's got to be kind of like Wiley Coyote when he gets to the end of the mesa and he steps off and there's nothing underneath him. He's got to believe there's something Something underneath them now, and and I think that's a tough thing to do. So, Josh Brown, I mean, do do you feel in, encouraged to, you know, buy stocks in a, in a way that you know maybe you didn't a, a handful of days ago? That you know, the soft landing is is really in play, and inflation's going to be able to be you know moderated enough without destroying the economy. So I, th- I think if we just think about this from an earnings standpoint, the picture is not so terrible. And as a result of that, that's what's enabled myself and most investors to remain invested this year. We started the year off looking for a significant drop in earnings according to uh, where consensus estimates were going. Uh, but then all three quarters that, that were reported, Q4, Q1, Q2, the results were better than expected, and the, the damage was not as substantial as we thought. It turns out U.S. companies are extremely good at passing on higher costs themselves to the consumer. They really have not had any problem doing that. It's incredible, but it's been really helpful for stocks themselves. Um, we are starting to see, though, in my, in my view, a scenario uh, where, once again, the winners are rapidly separating themselves from the losers. 
And when we talk about internals, and when we talk about divergences between S&P 500 versus Russell 2000, for example, it becomes increasingly clear that it's not about stocks or not stocks. It's about where, which stocks, right, and, but that, and which but, sectors, but the point and, is, and but, which but capital. But part of the point, Josh, is that it, that was a very small piece of the pie that, that people thought was the where, and that was mega cap tech. But now that if you actually believe that a, a soft landing is achievable, um, and rates are going to start to to maybe move lower, and even even if they don't, they're just normalizing. That maybe industrials are a good buy, as Jim has told us that that they are, and more cyclical areas of the economy actually are a good buy. And your choices now have become much more variety than just in the singular place of mega cap tech because of all the reasons that you and everybody else has said: balance sheets, earnings, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of stuff you can do. Crude is flat today, but natural gas is up 3% at about 320. That's the highest level since January this year. There aren't a lot of charts that look like that. There are companies that you can invest in that are going to get the benefit of that that are not expensive stocks. We talked about it yesterday. Um, right now, you, like, think about the XLE. It's down on the year, negative 1%. As recently as September 14th, the middle of last month, the XLE was up 8% on the year. There's been a lot of damage in a lot of sectors that, quite frankly, are going to have good earnings and have a tailwind. So I don't think it's, it's just tech. I think, though, that we have to be honest. When we say stocks and when we talk about the index and we say, what did the market do today, a lot of that is a function of not even the S&P 100, but like the S&P 50 is what's determining that. And I would say the good news mm -hmm. is that the comp those companies that we're talking about, they're, it's, they're not the companies that are seeing a situation where they were selling bonds at 3% and now it's 10%. That's not what we're talking about. So it really is a tale of two markets. And if you're in stocks outside of the top two deciles of the Russell 1000, you are not having fun this year. You're probably not making sure, money either. I want either. to hear from uh, let me I get hate to, Jim. to say it that way, yeah. but it's true. Let me get to Labenthal before I let him go. Um, back to yeah. Mr. Goldilocks. Um, are you, sure. Did you buy anything today? Are you, are you doing it? And if not, why? Because this is exactly what you asked for. It, it is exactly what I just asked for. And you know what? In the last two weeks, I've been buying. Um, I'm not buying today, but that doesn't mean anything. I'm very bullish right now. Um, I have drawn down my cash. I feel very good about things. I just want to address what Josh just said. He, he accurately portrayed what has gone up, up, gone on up until now. And Scott, what you led into Josh with, I mean, that was such a great synopsis of how I feel about where the future is going. I mean, it was such a great synopsis. I almost thought you were going to bring up supply chain onshoring and infrastructure spending. But you know what? I'll give that another week once we get the CPI, PPI. If those numbers come out good, then we're going to stop talking about the Fed. We're, 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 we're going to focus on what the economic drivers are for this economy. And those economic drivers are likely to favor the cyclicals going forward. Josh is absolutely right. They've sucked year to date. Okay. And I have felt it personally, but going forward, I feel very good about that cyclical yeah. exposure. Jim, I appreciate you calling in uh, very much. Jim okay. Rubenthal. Um, what do you want to do in the market now? Is, is it, is it time to think more, more broad? Do you buy some of these more cyclically sensitive areas or do you just stick with what's worked and just and just keep it easy? I think it's less value versus growth. I think it's more about cash flow, earnings quality, the stronger companies. Oh, okay, mega cap then. No, not just mega cap. Well, I thought you just painted the picture for mega cap. 
Larger cap. Which you're underweight on. Larger cap. Right? Larger cap. Mega cap tech. Yes. Well, yeah, that's what tech. I'm talking about. Yeah, mega, mega cap, cap tech. tech. So you have to couple that, though, with evaluation practice. What do you think practice. I was talking about? Larger cap, non-tech? Well, there, could be, non there, could be, there could be something else in that bucket. There's like two other companies in the top ten. Um, I, I think what you have to balance that out with, though, is this valuation question. And I love Jim's optimism about us coming off of the Fed and not talking about rates. What has happened in the equity market the last three, three weeks has been solely on rates. We are not going to be able to, to con disconnect ourselves from bond market volatility. So if I think about that, then I want to be in companies that I know even if we're higher for longer, have some protection to that. And frankly, that can grow on the top line. So that's why people are led to tech, Scott. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important, too, that there, you do need to be careful with valuations in this environment. Just noting, Joe, um, since the Apple downgrade, it's up three straight days. Mm -hmm. um, notable as every mega cap tech stock other than Tesla is, is currently green. So it's a pretty good chance that what we've seen in the jobs report, what we're going to see in Q3 GDP, is going to be the strongest, economic, the strongest economic activity that we see over the next six months. And I believe that, and I think the economy is going to weaken. Um, so in that environment, mega cap's going to work. They're the very definition of quality. I think Chairman Powell had an inflation problem coming into 2023. I think he's got a supply problem now. And the bond market can work, do its work, uh, and that would be to the advantage of the Federal Reserve, but I think ultimately at some point the bond market becomes adversarial to what the Federal Reserve wants to see happen. The supply is overwhelming and it's going to continue. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, everybody's talking about it, obviously, so you know, maybe at some point um, it, just, it just gets overblown or played out and everybody is talking about it, it seemingly like every day. Leesman, earnings. Earnings, earnings, earnings. Well, you That's could, all I mean, you they're, could they're make front it, and center, right? They're going to get hot and heavy starting next week. You could make a case with the stronger GDP growth, which this job market may be reflective of, uh, that earnings may be understated. I think they've already been uh, been re revised up a bit. I think that there's, if the pie's a little bigger, then the share of the corporation could be a little bigger. I do want to maybe throw a little cold water on the euphoria here, okay? Because if rates are higher, and that means the Fed's not going to hike, rates are still higher. And it's almost worse than a Fed rate hike, right? Because a Fed rate hike, the market can decide to price in or not price in in places that matter for corporations. But when rates are higher, they're really higher for corporations. And so there's still that shoe to drop of higher rates. I think Josh was really smart to talk about the balance sheet, right? And the cash flow that Shannon was talking about. There are going to be companies that are going to be winners from this and companies that are going to be losers. But rates are still higher. It's not like yada, 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 the economy is going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. There are, there, are, there are trials and tribulations to go through as these corporations digest it. That's why Raphael Boss said we can we're at the sufficiently restrictive level because he mentioned corporate debt as being something that is going to act and create some restraint so you better figure out before you go in with both feet you know where that restraint is coming from inside corporate do, America do you also think lastly before we, we go that Mary Daly's view is now more pervasive and now she's not a voting member next so year though. It does it right next year but is yeah. that view now more pervasive in the, in the whole room that, you know what, because of the move in the bond market, it's equivalent to a hike, financial conditions are already really restrictive, i.e., we're done. We, we are done. Barring some unforeseen thing, we're done. I don't think that there is much disagreement from the Fed on the front end. If you look at the forecast for this year, 
A quarter point separates the Hawks and the Doves. Where there is disagreement is next year. And there you go from a four and a quarter uh, funds rate to a six. So there is quite a range there. And there are people like Michelle Bowman who want to hike twice more and maybe even more than that beyond that. I don't know if she's the sixth person out there. But, but there are people who are out there who have that viewpoint. And what's going to tell the, the, the truth here is what's going to happen with the data. You guys were right to point to the Thursday uh, CPI report and then again to the inflation report coming in. Watch all this stuff. If we can maintain, I don't care what the job growth level is, if we can maintain this happening with these kind of wage, these kind of wage growth and either maintain or give up even a bit on margin, I think that's a good scenario. All right, good stuff. Thanks for being here. Appreciate sure, it. Steve Leisman on set with us at Post 9. Coming up, more on the energy pullback. That sector now pacing for its worst week since March. Plus, there's a big merger brewing in the space. You probably heard the headlines about it. We'll get the committee's take next. We're back on the half in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. We're still green across the board. Oil, though, uh, down about 9% this week on pace for the worst week since March. So, Joe, you say this is a yellow light for you. You've been overweight energy since April of 22. What does that mean? It's a yellow light for you. So energy equities we've maintained uh, since April of 2022, overweight positioning. The refiners over the last five days have gotten absolutely punished. I'm not going to sit here and explain to you the supply to demand imbalance. You know that. Everyone knows that. We know the fundamentals of energy are strong. The yellow light comes from the momentum breakdown. And you've seen the momentum breakdown. We're now below the 200-day moving average in the XLE for the first time in the last three months. It's real what has unfolded in terms of somewhat neutralizing the extreme long positioning, both to the commodity and energy equities itself. And all I can tell you is as we move into the quarterly rebalance at the end of the month, while we've continued to increase exposure since April of 2022, I'm telling you now you have a yellow light. It's not as green as it has been. It's not as easy as it's been for the last 18 months. Last point on that. Generally, when you see inflection points in a specific sector that generally tracks a commodity, it's when the underperformance appears. And you've had the underperformance in equities relative to the spot pr uh, price of crude oil in the last six months. So all I'm just saying is I'm raising the awareness. We're kind of in a neutral state where it can go either way. Uh, Exxon PXD. You used to own PXD. Did. You, you like the talk of this possible deal? It, it plays exactly into the fundamentals. It puts ExxonMobil into a position 
where quite candidly, their, their daily production of oil rivals some small OPEC members. In the Permian Basin, that's obviously where everyone wants to be. Uh, Pioneer is an incredibly attractive asset, a phenomenal management team. Scott Sheffield is retiring, but he's done since 1970 a remarkable job. He is really the one who's created all this production in the Permian Basin itself. So, of course, this is a fantastic deal if it actually happens. It's incredibly beneficial to Exxon. It speaks towards the strong fundamentals of the environment overall. Josh, do you, do you get rid of the IEO here or you stay with it? No, this is a head, this is a head fake. It actually makes no sense. Crude oil peaked on September 27th at $93 a barrel. Oil is down 12% since then. The XLE is down about 8%. IEO is down 7%. For a little bit of perspective, IEO actually has been holding up better than the majors. Exxon is off 12% in that same period of time. Now, only 9% of the names, let's look at the big ones. In the XLE, only 9% of the components of that index are above the 50-day moving average, which means almost every stock has broken down on a short-term basis. That reading was above 40% as recently as mid-June, and that's when WTI crude was trading in a range between like 67 and 72. So crude is not, since those levels, Crude has really just round-tripped. It is not lower than those levels, but the percentage of stocks that are working has literally uh, ha had a nosedive. That's when you want to say to yourself, okay, this is overdone. These are still some of the cheapest companies in the market. Let's look at the IEO very quickly. The components themselves, on a weighted average P-E ratio, single-digit price earnings ratio. You got a 3% distribution yield for this ETF. That's the sum total of all of the dividends being paid. You got a lot of diversification here, but these stocks are gonna work so long as there's no major breakdown in the price of crude, which maybe there could be. I don't see any reason why there would be. So I like these stocks. I think they're cheap. I think they're gonna make a lot of money in 2024. And I think into year end, this is gonna be one of the sectors, one of the, one of the stronger sectors over the summer that will benefit you if you stick with it. You disagree with that? You must, based on what you just said. No. You think the momentum's done? No, I did not say, I never said those words. I didn't say the momentum is done. I've told, I said the momentum that has been in place since April of 2022 has been neutralized. We're in a position right now where we can go either way. Could crude break down further? Yes, it could. If we begin to build in more economic weakness and the potential of a recession is present, then crude is actually going to go lower. But we can go in either direction right now. Well, I mean, we could do this, we could do that. It's not a light switch. It's not on or off. That's rain, how markets work. Stop. Nope. Sun might come out. You're wrong. You're wrong. Well, what do you mean? You're the You're one wrong. saying That's it not go. how markets work. Markets don't always go bull to bear. Oh, it's I not like a light it. switch. It goes bull. It goes to neutral. It goes to bear. There's a resting place in between where you do the fundamental analysis and try and see if momentum res hey, resets itself. Yes, Josh. To, to, to Joe's point, we're, we're not talking about momentum like in an uh, in, in a, in a emotional way. Obviously, the stocks have come down. Joe is exactly right. RSI, for, let's use the IEO just because it's up in front of me. RSI, which is relative strength, that's how you measure momentum in numbers, is at 41. There is no momentum here. It's gone. Joe is absolutely right. 
I'm not making a point countering his point. I'm saying something no, different. No. I understand. I'm saying, my I think, I'm my saying, point is that Joe manages an ETF, okay, based in large part on momentum, okay? True. If, the, yeah. if he deems the momentum to have broken down, right, he's yep. going to have to make a decision on Halloween as to whether when he rebalances that ETF, whether he takes those energy stocks in the ETF and kicks them to the curb. Now, it's a dicey point, decision because well it taken. can go either. Hold on, let me finish. Mm-hmm. It's a dicey decision because, as Joe clarified to me, that means that he could still go either way. You're suggesting that 2024 energy can be good. He might not have the luxury of waiting that long because if momentum is broken yeah. down in his ETF, he's going to have to make a move. Great explanation. Great explanation. You're 100% so, so, accurate. So, so I agree with I, I agree with that, but the thing is, it's not a dicey decision because Joe is running a rules-based portfolio. Yep. Joe is not, you know, doing this and trying to figure out which way the wind is blowing. No, the but the last thing he wants out, to do is get rid of energy stocks and then see them run, run af- right after he gets rid of them. Did that happen Who wants to see that? that? Investing is hard, right? <laughs> in the it, it was a painful lesson <laughs> in mega caps. When, when you run a rules-based yes. strategy, the likes of which you do, yes. it can be painful. It can. That's my point. Absolutely. And I, and I wear that. I'm transparent about it. I'm just, I'm guiding the viewers towards what I'm seeing. And I'm just telling you, Crude oil is in a critical place where it could go in either direction right now. I hope Josh is right about his fundamental assessment. I suspect that Josh is right. I'm just guiding the viewers. I'm telling the viewers something has happened here, which Josh is acknowledging, yes. in the energy market that they, you just and, need to and, raise and, and the And you awareness. might not have the luxury of waiting around to find out if he's right or wrong. That's part of what, what, I'm, what I'm suggesting. 100%, Scott. Okay. You are right. Pippa Stevens has the headlines for us. Hi, Pippa. Hey, Scott. Syria is holding funerals for the people killed during Thursday's drone attack on a graduation ceremony at a military academy. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said more than 120 people People were killed in the strike, the bloodiest attack in more than 12 years of civil war. No group has claimed responsibility. The White House announced that starting next year, customers will start getting their electric vehicle tax credits at the dealership when they buy a car. People typically receive their credits months after their purchase when tax returns are issued. The change will lower the price of new EVs by $7,500 and will take $4,000 off the price of used EVs. And the WNBA is adding a new team for the first time in 15 years. The league announced a franchise expansion team in the Bay Area in partnership with the Golden State Warriors. The team will start playing in 2025. The move comes as the WNBA ends its most popular season to date in terms of game attendance and TV viewership. Scott, back to you. All right, Pippa. Thank you, Pippa Stevens. Up next, the Disney double play. Two bullish calls on the media giant. We'll find out if the committee agrees. Has that stock bottomed? They'll weigh in next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the half. I want to hit some calls. Uh, two on Disney. Bernstein initiates Disney outperform price target 103. That's a 34% upside. Look at the stock. It's at 82. Seaport says buy 93. A little more tempered price target. Nonetheless, Josh Brown, you've been critical of, of Disney. You've, I know you don't own the stock, but are you starting to think it, it may be bottomed or, or it's in the process of bottoming? Uh, I don't look this stock has lost a ton of market cap. I just don't think it's over yet. I think ultimately it's hard for me to say that this stock has bottomed until we get some some actual answers to these big strategic decisions that Bob Iger has to make. The good news is I think he's the right person to make them. The better news is none of this is new and all of that negativity is in the stock. Um, but I worry, technically, there's really, look, you, you get two upgrades like that on a day like today, and the best this stock could do is a buck and a half. It just tells you that it's just a heavy, heavy stock. I did think it would get into the 70s. It hit 79 and change. It, it kissed that level for like five minutes. If you were, if you were online for popcorn, you missed it. Um, I, I think I'm going to get a better shot at it. I do want to buy it. And I know the difference between 75 and 82 is not that big of a difference. So if from a long-term investing perspective, so what? Um, but I just think it's going gonna, it's gonna to get that washout moment at some point. RSI got as low as, uh, I, think, I think, about uh, 40 the other day. I want to see it truly oversold before I can say, all right, I don't care if it goes lower. I think it's the sellers are exhausted. I just don't think we've gotten there yet. Joe? So I feel like we could have written this note in 2019. There was not much different in the note today than what I heard back then. Uh, understand if you're buying this stock, you're buying this stock based on value. You're not buying this stock based on growth. I'm buying Netflix based on growth. Three years ago, I was buying Disney based on growth. This is not about growth anymore with Disney. This is about value. And understand if you focused on value, number one, they're not really returning very much to you in the capital allocation strategy. And beyond that, it's richly valued. So I kind of agree with Josh where I, I don't think that Disney's past the worst. And I still think time is the biggest enemy if you're going to buy the stock. You want to take on Lily, which <laughs> is part of our call too. Price target to 700 at B of A. Uh, they reiterate buy. So you used to own this in, in the did. Joe T. Yep. You sold it when you rebalanced. And the stock's up 50-some-odd percent year-to-day. It just goes to what we were talking about before. Just because you have rules doesn't mean the rules allow you to be right all the time or be easy. A hundred percent. Obviously, regrettable that at the end of July, we stepped away from Lilly, where we had been for quite some time. 
listen, this, this, this cuts both ways. There, you know, you could look at the financial sector, which we reduced our holdings a while back. That worked out well for us. But there are going to be trades, and that's the reality of what we do in this business, where you have regret. Now, looking forward for this company, you're going to see the potential for their obesity drug to get approval in Q4. That obviously is going to be a significant catalyst for the stock. A little bit richly valued, okay? It trades somewhat like a biotech, but certainly there's a green light when you're looking at momentum. All right, what about healthcare? Shan, you made this as one of your sector picks, correct? It's been such a challenging year. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things to think about the way that healthcare is trading, and so Joe just talked about Lilly, think about the number of rotations that you've had within the healthcare sector. Everyone was in managed care, and then everyone was out of managed care and into disposables. Now everybody's looking at the potential for these obesity drugs to have much wider implications, and they're selling off of everything diabetes related. So I think what we're finding is that it's it's not that investors aren't active in the healthcare sector, it's that they're picking and choosing different spots rather than taking it as one that's going to benefit from demographic tailwinds. Okay. Mike Santoli is going to join us next with his midday word. Check the market real quick. Dow still good for 237. There's the big board here. Yields, 10-year note, 477. So it's come off from the highs of the day, and that's enabled the stock market to get a little bit of a boost. We'll get Mike's take next. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli here at Post 9. Uh, the day is still young. Anything can happen. But yep. what does this market move, this price action uh, do to you? Kind of unclenching a little bit. Um, I do think the morning was really interesting in how it kind of stayed within the bounds of the trading ranges for stocks and bonds we had been in all week. So I think it kind of wanted to test to see if we we're going to break those levels to the downside in the S&P or the upside in the 10-year. It didn't happen. And then I think there was this constant sort of processing rethink of the jobs number. And it, it seems to uh, kind of bottom line at, you know, we have the economy we thought we had, which is disinflation plus some economic resilience, probably not a 300,000 job pace, but that's okay. All that together is, okay, the oversold conditions that we've been talking about for days can sort of have a little bit of an effect for a relief rally. Um, I talked to you, you know, yesterday by the, uh, around the close and said, if you were bearish and you've been correct for a couple of months, you have to wonder, we haven't broken. We haven't broken the 4,200 level. It really didn't get disorderly on the downside. Does it have to at some point? Maybe, but uh, I, I think it's sort of enough for now. Look ahead to where we can talk about companies as opposed to every tick in yields. It looked like we were headed below 4,200. Sure. And here we are on the doorstep of 4,300 yeah. again. Yeah. In that kind of market. And we're in that zone of um, you definitely could spin it either way, meaning until you get above 44-ish, where there was this big gap down in like September 21st, I think it was, uh, you're going to have people say this is just nothing but a, you know, a temporary relief rally. Uh, or you can certainly say uh, it, we got a little bit too close to the 200-day and, and below that to not give it a stab. Yeah. We'll see. Every sector green uh, except for staples, so we'll keep our eye on all that. I'll see you in a little bit. All right. On Closing Bell, when Mike's back with me coming up, cyber stocks are rallying today. We have some ownership there, of course, on the desk. So we'll find out how the committee is playing it next. We're back uh, watching cyber stocks today. Uh, There they go. 
All in the green. Joe, this probably is in response to Clorox, at least in some regard. Mm-hmm. The cyber attack that it faced um, has these stocks front and center yet again. Year-to-date, Palo Alto 75%, CrowdStrike 65 Fortinet 22. Um, you own Palo Alto, you own CrowdStrike, you own Fortinet. Yes. So you're all across the space. Yeah, Fort, Fortinet is in uh, the Joe T ETF. Fortinet is the one that's underperforming relative to the other two. I said when I purchased Palo Alto and CrowdStrike, I wasn't getting out of these names. I try not to look at them on the screen, but on a day like today, you see the significant outsized move that they're both having, and obviously uh, you get somewhat enthused about that. I think when you think uh, about the entirety of cybersecurity, understand even in an economy, that's declining. They're very similar to the mega caps from the standpoint of, yes, they have resiliency, but also technology spending is going to continue on cybersecurity. It's almost as if it's a necessity. It's not as it's not something similar to software where when you look at technology budgets, you, you price in where you're going to go. You have to go to cybersecurity. And that's the reason I own these names. And I plan on holding these names for a significant amount of time. Last point on that real quick is just to understand these names are volatile. Mm-hmm. Size the position accordingly so that you can endure the volatility. Josh, it was uh, CrowdStrike was your final trade yesterday, a matter of fact. Yeah, look, this is something that this is something that I learned a long time ago and it always stuck with me. In times of market volatility, pay attention to the stocks that aren't going down. And CrowdStrike fits into that category. I mentioned Google earlier in the show. Um, these stocks were under accumulation regardless of long rates, and I think that speaks volumes. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll do final trades next. Well, there he is. Tom Lee is going to join us today on Closing Bell. He's probably feeling pretty emboldened after today's jobs report, market action. We'll find out now what he thinks about where we're going from here. Bryn Talkington with me, Sebastian Page of T. Rowe, and then the Dean of Valuation, Aswath Motor of NYU. Find out what he thinks valuations are now relative to this big move in rates we've seen. Expectations for earnings and everything else as we look ahead to an important week ahead for your money. So I'll see you at Closing Bell a couple hours' time. Josh Brown, final trade. Uh, Pepsi, this is ridiculous. We're not all going to be skinny. You can take my word for it. <laughs> yeah. Staple stocks have gotten hammered, man. Pepsi, Coca-Cola. Come on, look at this chart. Come on. Come on. Do we have time Too to pull much. up a chart? Let's just, pull up a chart. Just we pull have up Josh's Instagram feed. <laughs> do we have it? Can we do it? Stop it. Stop already. <laughs> all right, we'll get, you know, we'll do, we'll get Joe's final trade, but we'll pull the chart up. We're working on it in the back, I'm sure. Okay, Go. a couple of weeks ago, I, get, right. I suggested to buy puts on the consumer staple sector. On a day Speaking like today, of. a day like today, you definitely want to cover at least half of those puts if you executed the trade. Okay, Shan. Um, the materials sector, so similar to energy, there's a, a very looming supply issue, particularly in commodities like copper, and there's opportunities with all the infrastructure bill that we're going to be doing. Okay. Do we have the chart? You want to tell us why Pepsi and not Coca-Cola? I don't know. It probably don't, it probably wouldn't matter. Uh, this, this just looks obscenely overdone, uh, g- given given the the reason behind it. I don't buy it. Yeah. Well, it's been what today. Staples the only red uh, sector. We'll see how that progresses. Dow's good for 232. Green across the board does it for us. I'll see you on the closing bell. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.